0: Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A blazing fire under the body of the nitro-powered Toyota Camry of Alexis DeGioia, and this is as bad a fire as you're ever going to see. On this see. episode, we're setting up the Mile High Nationals and talking to Alex Laughlin, Top Fuel's newest licensed driver. Erica Anders is your 2020 Pro Stock World Champion in stunning fashion. It's all Denver all the time on this show. Scotty's out on Andrew at 1,000 feet. It's Scotty Polachek for the first time in his career. This is the NHRA Insider. Tony Schumacher. Wow, what an appropriate way to end this one. 28,000 to the strike. An instant classic final round. Hey, everybody. Brian Loans back again with another episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. It is finally time to kick off the Western Swing, and we will do it in fine fashion this week with the Dodge SRT Mile High Nationals presented by Pennzoil at Bandamere Speedway. The entire world of NHRA drag racing certainly focusing their attention out there in Denver. So many people, so many teams busy this week, and so many big stories to talk about leading into this race. We have two debuts happening in the Nitro categories, and our guest this week will be Alex Laughlin, undoubtedly the larger, uh, or the largest, I should say, Uh, Debut of a top-field driver we have seen in some time, and it happened out of some crazy circumstances. So we're going to talk to Alex today. He's going to be our guest on this show. And we also, Chris King, is another great story we're going to be following through our coverage on Fox and FS1 over the course of the Mile High Nationals weekend. Uh, Chris King, a Chicago firefighter, has worked for years on end to get the opportunity to race on the NHRA national event level. And he will have his first opportunity to do just that this weekend, driving an awesome, funny car that is tuned by uh, Terry Totten. Terry Totten's Top Field Dragster will also be in action out at the Mile High Nationals with Joey Haas behind the wheel. But it is going to be a great weekend. And we talk about these debuts of uh, of these two professional racers. One of a million storylines really coming into this race. Um, When we talk about uh, other stories before we actually get into the Mile High Nationals, uh, those of you that have been following NHRA.com this week saw that uh, we will not be going to Virginia Motorsports Park this year. The track will be back on the schedule for 2022. There just was no space to land the event in the fall to make it work for all parties. So the, uh, the announcement on the positive side, we will be back at Virginia Motorsports Park for the 2022 Camping World Drag Racing Series season. We will not be visiting there in 2021. They had not officially kind of canceled that event until just a few days ago. Then we got word uh, as I'm making this show, the announcement came out that Houston Raceway Park, we will race there one more time. We'll be going there once uh, next year, of course, for the 2022 season. And much like we did in Atlanta this year, that will be the final national event that that facility will host. The racetrack down there at Houston Raceway Park uh, was sold several years ago. The land under the racetrack was sold several years ago, and the track has been operating um, as a leaseholder, basically, of that land since then. And if you're unfamiliar with that area where the racetrack sits, uh, it has been slowly and well, much more rapidly now over the last couple of years transforming um, from what was once a kind of barren, wide open, nothing going on but the drag strip Wasteland, if you will, Uh, it has been transformed into a massive hub of trucking and warehousing and storage for various different uh, companies and organizations. So uh, there have been and continue to be these giant trucking terminals and warehouses being built down there. And it's been kind of crummy to go back year after year and see a warehouse, another one getting a little closer, another one getting a little closer. And ultimately there is a large warehouse that's being finished right now Just to the left of the racetrack, if you're looking down the racetrack, you look off to the left, you see this major construction project. So uh, logic would lead me to believe that the next building site is actually going to be on the property of Houston Raceway Park. So I am glad that we will have the last chance to go down there and and throw a big bad rock and roll drag race like we did in atlanta i am sad that it is a track that will be departing the company of the nhra camping world drag racing series but my understanding is that the nhra is uh is exploring some uh, some new locations to run events um uh, i'm not really sure 100 percent where those are but i have uh Heard some conversation regarding that. So it will be an interesting thing to see where the NHRA turns its focus uh, after we no longer visit Houston. And I think maybe 2022, we may actually see a new venue or two pop up on the NHRA Camping World Drag Racing Series Tour. So that is going to be interesting. That's it's the pluses and the minuses. And it's an evolution of the sport. And it's one of those things that uh, unfortunately happens when racetracks get uh, get sold Urban sprawl comes in, industrial sprawl comes in. It tends to uh, tends to squeeze motorsports out. But the luckily, the good thing is eyes are up and uh, new venues being considered and being potentially added to the schedule for 2022. Now, if we continue to turn our focus back to the actual race that's coming this weekend, there are a million different storylines here. Of course, the big one is always when we go to Denver, the fact that these teams have to uh, really exercise a different set of muscles than they normally do when we go drag racing at any other venue, uh, especially when it comes to the nitro categories. Uh, The interesting thing has been uh, a higher level of testing at this facility we have seen out of the Pro Stock market motorcycle class than really we have in years. There were multiple bikes out there testing last week, including Steve Johnson, Ryan Ayler, uh Corey Reed, and Joey Gladstone are out there as well. And by all indication, they're working on that uh, kind of high altitude tune-up, trying to get the most out of the least when it comes to the atmospheric conditions. Now, when we talk about when we're going to run at Houston and qual- rather in, uh, Denver and qualifying, the qualifying sessions on Friday and Saturday, specifically Friday, is a night session beginning at like 8 p.m. So they're going to get the best conditions of the entire weekend for making any sort of uh, big E.T., low E.T. run, if you will, on Friday evening, and that goes for all classes and all categories. When we get to Saturday, it is a later session. The two sessions really are both later meaning they start in the afternoon and then we'll end in the evening, but I don't necessarily think we'll be running as late into the night as we will on Friday night. So really um, the weather is looking really nice. It's going to be kind of in the low to mid eighties, uh, a lot of sun and then our Sunday race day will be run during that afternoon heat. So, uh, as is most of the the equation when we get to a national event for our professional teams, you know we have the hero, quote-unquote, hero qualifying sessions in the evening, and you really have to try to lock into a race day tune-up on Saturday because you're going to have to apply that knowledge to what you do on Sunday. I would guess a qualifying session three is going to provide the teams the closest kind of atmospheric conditions that they will see to the race day on Sunday. And again, we're going to be talking about this all weekend long on the television show, but the reality is we're going to be talking about more blower overdrive for the nitro cars. We're going to talk about thinner head gaskets, and we're going to see how much they can compensate for the lack, if you will, of that uh, nice, dense oxygen that they will have plenty of when we get to Sonoma. That is also the great part of the Western Swing, that uh, the first two races are as we normally have them. The third race is in Pomona as opposed to Seattle, Washington. But we go from the highest physical elevation track on the Tour at Bandamere Speedway, 5,800 feet above sea level, to the closest track to sea level on the entire Tour in Sonoma, California, which is only 13 to 15 feet above sea level. Either way, it's about an even sea level track versus the mountainous style of air that we will be dealing with. More specifically, the teams will be dealing with when we get to Denver. Now, in a pro stock car, uh, we're going to be not seeing them in Denver. They will be picking up the Western Swing in Sonoma and in Pomona. The most interesting thing for the pro stock motorcycles is the fact that this is the first time anybody in that class will have the opportunity to sweep the Western Swing. Normally, we run the bikes at Pomona. Rather, we run the bikes at Denver and then Sonoma, and the bikes typically do not run in Seattle. In fact, the most the pro-stock motorcycles have never run the entire Western Swing, uh, at least if they have. It has not been for many, many years. I don't think they've ever done it. So we'll find out if anybody can get the job done three races in a row in pro-stock motorcycle for the first time ever on the Western Swing. And also, one of the other wild card things to think about is that Andrew Hines and Eddie Krawick usually had special engines to run in Denver when they were running under the Harley Davidson sponsorship. I am guessing they did not take those engines apart and throw them in the dumpster. So their high altitude tune up uh, prowess or their high altitude engines that they will be bringing up there will find out if they can turn the trick as well. Obviously, in Norwalk, it was great racing in Pro Stock Motorcycle with Matt Smith and Steve Johnson coming down to the final round. Matt Smith doing the better job. Steve Johnson not coming up with the second victory this season, but Stevie J, um, with some increased health from Mac Racks, was out there and able to go, or Mac Rack was able to go out there and make some test runs, which uh, he said was a fruitful exercise. He went back to the shop and uh, kind of worked on what he learned at the altitude. Now he's going to try to apply that when we go racing this weekend. The nitro categories, as mentioned, will be employing all of the technical, mechanical tricks of the trade that they can apply to get the most out of their race cars. And, you know, when we have and when we talk about a Friday night session that the temperatures will be uh, comparatively low, I think the high of the day is 84. When we finally run qualifying session one, I'm guessing those temperatures will be somewhere in the 70s, maybe potentially even in the high 60s. So they will be seeing. Um, as good an air will be Denver fast, I guess is the way we like to say it. You're not going to be Sonoma fast in Denver, but you can be Denver fast when presented with altitude that maybe is 6,000 or 7,000 feet as opposed to what we have seen in the past at 9 and 10,000 feet of density altitude. When the temperatures are, say, around 90 degrees and the track's really hot, obviously, Bandomere Speedway has one of the neatest features of any drag strip in the country with that cooling system that they're able to uh, modulate the temperatures of the starting line with. And uh, the place never lacks for traction. That is absolute fact up there that the racetrack is always prepared to the nines. Larry Crisp and his entire crew do an amazing job during the season, which translates to our safety safari coming in and doing a great job to uh, almost just kind of maintain what they've already been doing over the course of the year. Just going to be a great time to be back at Bandamere Speedway, a racetrack that has just such great heritage on the NHRA National Event uh, Trail. Beginning in the late 70s, having that interruption in 1988 when the track was being completely renovated into the facility we know it as today. And then, of course, having the interruption in 2020 when we all had an interruption of sorts. When we talk about who will be doing what over the course of a weekend, do we talk about Bob Tasca trying to uh, maintain a points lead over John Force, which is uh, not insurmountable at this point. He is out there, but he's not that far out there. A great weekend by Force and a crummy weekend by Tasca can see him lose that number one spot, which, of course, he doesn't want to do. The good news for Bob Tasca is the fact that he has not slowed down at all. A final round appearance in Norwalk came up short to Cruz Pedragon. But the reality is, if this car can keep doing what it's been doing, which is to go late rounds, finishing semis, finishing final rounds, and of course winning races, he was not going to have a whole lot to worry about over the course of his 2021 campaign here as we continue on. Mike Neff has decades of experience on the mountain, decades of experience tuning these cars in all sorts of conditions at Denver. So undoubtedly, they will be locked and loaded with something uh, interesting and certainly something competitive in their hot rod. Matt Hagan, this is a huge weekend for this team. Of course, the Dodge SRT uh, team of Matt hagan they want to perform in front of their sponsors. They want to perform in front of the great fans that are here. This is a, a legacy race, if you will, for Dodge and Mopar and SRT. So there is certainly additional pressure there it would be the perfect location for that team to break out of, I'm not going to call it a slump because he's doing okay in the points and everything, but when we think about Matt Hagen and Dickie Venables and what we expect them to be accomplishing, we just haven't quite seen it yet. Not to say that they haven't been competitive, which they have been, but they have not turned on a final round win light. They have not really ever showed up at a race where we thought, oh boy, they're going to have one of their famous just kind of hammer everybody into the ground weekends. If they can do it up on the mountain in front of executives from Dodge and Mopar and SRT, All the better, I am sure, for a a certain fact that they are going to be working doubly hard to get the job done. The same can be said for Leah Pruitt. Leah's car has had its struggles. They were testing at Indy not this week, but the week previous, and uh, they certainly gained data there. They went over several different things, made several test runs at Lucas Oil Raceway Indianapolis and likely came out of there with some uh, ideas, if you will, or some methods to improve their current standing, which is not... In danger of falling out of the top 10 but it's certainly not near the top of the top 10 where they want to be steve torrance is absolutely dominating top fuel as we know and as we have seen he has won of course at bandamere speedway was a winner in 2019 we're going to find out if he can get the job done at this point in his uh quest to lock in a top 10 spot now he does not need that many more points to guarantee himself a top 10 spot in fact If he runs all three of the Western Swing races and depending on how he fares, he can actually lock himself into the playoff in Pomona. There is some question as to whether that team is going to run Pomona and that may maybe depend on how they perform at the first two. Once again, as we get to the end of the Western Swing, we'll have a week off and then go to Topeka, Kansas, but the next three weeks will be dominated by these three West Coast races and certainly will be dominated by us analyzing and looking at how these teams are performing. We have seen racers come close to sweeping the swing. Uh, Back in 2019, Greg Anderson came one win light away. He was up in Seattle. Matt Harford got him in the final round. That was, of course, the weekend that John Forrest won his 150th, and Austin Prock won his first race. Speaking of Austin Brock, he will be back in his normal role as uh, servicing the Superchargers for John Force Racing in Denver, Sonoma, and Pomona. Clay Milliken will be back in the seat of the Parts Plus Walmart Top Fuel Dragster. He has uh, recovered from the inner ear problem he was having, has made runs in his sister's sportsman dragster to make sure that he is uh, up to snuff in terms of how his head's feeling and how he's feeling. And I know Clay Milliken is looking to get back to uh, fight and shape out here and do what he can do. They made the final at this race in 2019, so maybe that's even extra incentive for him to be back in the seat and competing. One of the things that is so interesting about this particular time of the year is that we're now beginning the back half of the regular season. Technically, I guess we did it in Norwalk, but we're going to really advance into that back half and do so very rapidly. We've run seven races over five months so far. From March to this point, seven races over five months. We're now going to run five races in the next six weeks. This is a game-changing, momentum-building or momentum-crushing part of the season of NHRA Camping World Drag Racing, and we we watch it happen every year. When we get to these stretches, these, these kind of sp- spates of races that run in these clumps, we definitely find and see people who lock it in and succeed. We see people who lose the tune-up, who maybe lose the clutch program, and they fade fast. The amount of testing been done by the Coletta Motorsports team has been significant as well. They've tested the dragsters. They've tested the funny car. Um, They are looking to definitely reverse fortunes. Not so much in the funny car because J.R. Todd's having a very solid season. Without a whole lot to worry about, they simply want to make sure that they are in playoff shape. They want to make sure that they are able to chip away at uh, at the people ahead of them and the points. And depending on what the conditions look like, especially in Pomona and Sonoma, those are two tracks where uh, we know J.R. Todd's car is traditionally very good because it's traditionally fairly warm at those racetracks when we run at them. And uh, he has won in both of those places. So... We'll find out what he can do in Denver this weekend. Of course, the struggles of Doug Coletta have been uh, have been documented by us and other people over the course of this 2021 season so far. And the fact that um, they've just had so many small problems kind of magnify themselves into larger problems. We are looking for Doug Coletta and his team to make a an abrupt turnaround here at the Mile High Nationals, and it would be, again, no better place to get something going when you're going to have three races back to back to back. It's uh it can be crushing to your soul if you struggle at the first one, second one, and third one, and it can be an elevating experience if you're able to actually get ahead of steam behind you as we work our way towards Topeka Brainerd and the U.S. Nationals, which will close out the regular season it goes without saying that Doug's car is crew chiefed and crewed by some of the most veteran guys out there in the 2021 camping world drag racing series. So it is only a matter of time. Uh, it'll just be an idea of when that matter of time will kick in that that car will kind of bounce back to where we expect it to be, which is a late round final round race winning hot rod. And, um, It's just a fascinating process to watch. It's when we see teams that struggle like this. We're not fascinated by the struggle, but we're fascinated by the work that goes into determining what the problems are to kind of do forensic study on what's holding them back and how they can improve their program and move ahead. All of that will be on full display this weekend at Bandamere Speedway. Again, one of the great legacy uh, venues on the NHRA Camping World Drag Racing Series Tour and a racetrack that if you have never visited, if you've never been to the Mile High Nationals or simply never been to Bandamere Speedway, you are cheating yourself out of one of drag racing's truly, truly, Epic experiences. So put it on your list. If you're not going this year, make sure you get out there next year. Or even if you're vacationing in that part of the world, just show up to a test and tune night or just show up to some Saturday event they're having because it is worth the price of admission to walk in there and simply take in a racetrack that is carved into the side of a mountain, a mountain known as the Dakota Hogback, who is what the uh, the backing plate if is, is, if you will, for Bandamere Speedway. It's a magical place, and it's a place where certainly some of the struggling teams want to make some magic this weekend and get themselves rolling towards Sonoma, California in the best possible shape. Sonoma has announced that it's opened a couple of additional seating areas. The ticket sales are very strong. The camping area apparently about sold out, which is like a 50 or 60 acre campground they have at Sonoma Raceway. And it's going to be a rocking crowd up there. It's always an active place. It's always a fun place to go drag racing in Sonoma. The environment up there is also very beautiful and uh, not quite as rustic, if you will, as Colorado, but it is gorgeous. You got vineyards, you got rolling hills, you got all the great looking stuff, and um, it is going to be a spectacular weekend there. In Pomona, at night in Southern California, at a weird time of the year for us, at a time when um, teams are simply not used to going there, they're going to be referencing. I didn't even know what they're going to be referencing in terms of data, but that's going to be a fun thing to talk about in just a couple of weeks. So that's kind of the state of the state right now. You understand a couple of things going on with racetracks, meaning what we got going on with Virginia, where we'll be back there in 22. Houston Raceway Park will be back there again in 2022, but it will be for the last time as that racetrack will uh, not be hosting any more national events post that. I'm not sure if they're going to be finishing out the entire season. I'm guessing they will, but uh, get your tickets to Houston and get them now because that race, much like Atlanta, will be absolutely sold out. You're going to see a ton of people coming down to have one last fling at Houston Raceway Park, just like we saw at Atlanta. And it was uh, an electric, if not bittersweet, atmosphere. So now let's go to our guest on this week's edition of the NHRA Insider Podcast. One of the most interesting, fast-developing, and crazy stories over the last couple of weeks has been the move to top fuel by Alex Laughlin. He has gone uh, licensing with Scott Palmer, will drive a Scott Palmer car in Denver, and we are here to get the story from the horse's mouth. It's Alex Laughlin. Hey, Alex, how you doing?
1: Good, man. Very good. It's, uh, it's honestly crazy to hear that. Uh, never in my life Gosh, where do you even start? Never in my life would I thought that I would be in a pro-stock car or a pro-mod, <laughs> much less a top-fuel dragster, but here we are.
0: Yeah, here we are, and there's so many questions I have, but I want to start, I want to kind of work backwards a little bit. I want to talk about the licensing process. Uh, you got hooked up with Scott Palmer to do this, but where you did it, it's fascinating to me because you got a top-fuel license at Kansas International Dragway, which is something I don't know anybody else can actually say. <laughs> i was <clears throat> I was
1: literally just looking at uh watching a video of my last run uh from from the stands up there and yeah i i agree with you completely um showing up there or i guess reason- the reason that we even uh chose that place is they were having the funny car chaos event out there last weekend and Palmer was already going to be there uh running his uh Studebaker the top fuel, yeah, Pro Mod, that thing's insane. which is absolutely a sight to see, uh, in itself. Um, but since he already had all of the equipment and everything there, we decided that we would just make the, the licensing run there. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. It was, a, I was a little, um, apprehensive, um, showing up because it's a pretty tight track. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's a little narrow and it's completely an asphalt track versus concrete. And, uh, it's a little bumpy in the shutdown area with steel, um, guardrails, but you know what, all in all, just as long, as long as you keep it in the middle, the walls and all of that stuff, uh, shouldn't matter anyways. Or that's, that's what I was telling myself the night before. Yeah. Well, and, I think uh, there's
0: a, there's an element of that where it's like, you know, when not that I'm saying it's great, but I'm also saying that you're not going to make any dumb decisions at that point, right? If you've taken all these things into consideration, you're not going to try to go over your head knowing that there may be some consequences there.
1: That's a hundred percent true. Um, if, if it was out of my comfort zone on any level, you know, the, the first, first plan is to just step off the gas, you know, not, not trying to, to go too far or like you said, or being over my head. So, you know, I think that after making my runs there, um, I'm good to go for anywhere on the NHRA circuit.
0: Yeah, and and make no mistake, we're not taking a shot at, at KID because it's a killer little racetrack that's been in business for years. But to get a modern top fuel license there is a wild stat to your life.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, and it is respectable, um, you know, for the racetrack itself to say that it held a 11,000 horsepower top fuel car. You know, yeah. we went 8:32 uh, to 60 foot um on the very first run so the starting line was was tight and uh yeah i mean as far as the surface it was fantastic
0: and how was scott as a as a coach as a guy who was guiding you through this process and you've driven listen we know you've driven a pro stock car a fuel car pro modified car so this is not like totally out of the out of the league but how was scott as kind of a guy that was talking you through the whole uh, the whole process you were going to go through
1: Dude, I'll be honest, Scott Palmer is one of the absolute best humans in the entire sport of drag racing, from, from boats to pro mods to top fuel cars, everything in between. He, he really has stuck his neck out for me, and I appreciate it more than, than words can explain, to be honest. Whenever I made the phone call to him, told him the predicament that I was in and that I needed to run a car in Denver it would have been so easy for him to just say no, you know, um, he had already had plans for, uh, him to run his own car there. And it it just, the, honestly the easiest thing would have just said to be, to say no. And that, you know, the seat was already taken and it is what it is. Um, to be completely honest, I don't know that I would have done what he did even myself, but he decided to, to sit Denver out and let me hop in and, It's not like he's making a bunch of money off of this or anything. Like, he's actually doing this to better the sport and as a favor. Um, I didn't really know Scott all that well going into this, but, you know, I've said it several times now, one of the main things that I ever heard following Scott Palmer's name is what a great guy he is, and this is absolutely a testament to that. Um, He's one of the the best people I've ever met.
0: You know, I think one of the neatest things about Scott is that Everybody, you know, you talk about different people. They say, well, you know, what you see with this guy is what you get. But with Scott Palmer, I've never actually met anybody that is more what you see is what you get. Like, the dude is, like you said, he is totally committed to this sport. He races in a smart way. He races within his own means and boundaries. And he is always willing... For a situation like this, he is always be he seems to always be the guy that steps up and helps whether it's here or it's somebody else that needs help over the course of a race. You know, he's like you said, he's involved in boats and everything else. Like the dude is salt of the earth.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, absolutely. You know, like I said, one of the best humans in the entire sport of drag racing.
0: So you're making your you're making your initial license runs, and, and the videos you posted were great. Uh, obviously, you've completed the license. You're going to be racing in Denver rather than talk about the car and all the other garbage that goes along with that i want to talk about your emotional state because that was the most fascinating part of this to me especially the video you pulled your helmet off and you were like overcome and i felt like that was a really neat thing one because it's a moment that we never see and i think a lot of people that achieve this license or achieve this level maybe have that moment but we just don't see it but you showed it to us so why and and what was that overriding feeling Man, it, it,
1: a roller coaster of emotions is definitely the best way to put it, you know, from the, the time that I hit the gas on that second run, the adrenaline rush, you know, to stepping off the gas pedal, chunking the chutes out, and just the, you know, the, the, the whoop whoop moment, like, man, that was so cool. <laughs> as As the car was slowing down, that's when it just, it literally hit me like a ton of bricks, like, dude, Alex, what? are you doing right now literally have just hit the gas pedal for a second time in a top fuel dragster um just like i said starting starting this um entire interview out i would have never thought that i would be in any of these cars much less a top fuel car and yeah it just it hit me really hard and i just thought man like this is surreal this is an unbelievable moment in time and uh yeah, I was glad to, that I had that camera rolling there to catch all of that, and uh, I don't know. I I feel like uh, you know, I feel like it's okay to be real um, oh, and absolutely. to show absolutely, absolutely, you know, to to show that you're still a real person, and and I also think that a lot of people you know, or some people have the wrong perception of me. You know, I've seen comments on my social media about silver spoon, rich kid, this and that and whatnot. But, you know, to be honest, my family doesn't have the means to support a top fuel car. You know, I was, I was fortunate to be able to, to grow up racing and super comp and top dragster and stuff and be able to afford, you know, um, those opportunities. But this is so far out of reality that it takes it takes all of my partners and sponsors and everything that I've ever worked for um, and uh, and pulling off the track there and kind of breaking down a little little bit just really is enough it's truly another testament that you know I've worked so hard to be here and it wasn't something that literally just you know a check from the family can buy it's not that easy there's there's so much more to it and I'm just so grateful um, to be in this position and to be able to experience some of these things that I have been
0: I thought it was I thought it was great. I thought it was very real. I thought it was very honest and I think it's I think it's you know the type of stuff that we see way too little of in drag racing we just we yes, we see people get emotional oftentimes we see them get emotional because we're you know, peeping through the lens of a camera. We're seeing them at the top end. They're not having a great day or whatnot. But when we actually see somebody, you know, have a, a moment like this, it's, it's a rare occurrence. So I thought it landed. It landed with me very well. I thought it was um, I just thought it was unique. I thought it was a cool perspective. And it certainly did kind of sum up what had to have been about a billion and a half emotions that were going through your head. You mentioned the partners, and really that's that's the, the crux of this deal is you need to get on the racetrack in Denver because you have partners that value the Denver market, that value the Denver fans, that you're committed to racing with at Denver. So let's talk a little bit about them and also the conversations you've had with them to say, hey, um, that red car I won't be driving that one. I will be driving this. What has the response been on that side of this this program? Um, the folks at
1: Haviland were definitely excited about it. The first question was, is this going to cost more money? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I said, my response was, um, to me, yes, to, you no." um, you know, this yeah. is a situation that came about, um, because the, the ProMod cars were not, um, going to be able to make it to Denver. We've just been a little bit behind um and going to denver wasn't going to do anything to help us prepare for um the rest of the season in pro mod um denver is obviously an animal of its own it is and uh our team owner richard freeman decided that he wanted to to leave the cars behind and keep them in the engine shop and on the dyno and uh try to you know get more prepared for for the race that that follows denver um with that being said Yes, it's a um, Denver is a huge market for Haviland specifically and they had a bunch of people planning to come out and so I absolutely had to do whatever it took to be there. My first several phone calls were to find another ProMod ride and I wasn't having any luck and so I'm I'm thinking all right, what other what other pro classes could I possibly run? Um ProStock isn't running there so that isn't um you know that would have been the easiest option oh, obviously. Yeah. Um, so then I'm thinking I've got the options of a top fuel dragster, a funny car or a pro stock bike. And I'm not exactly (laughs) built for a bike, nor do I have any experience, you know, I've ridden my, uh, 50 CC dirt bike around, you know, my house, (laughs) but that's about it. And, uh, you know, I thought back to 2017 when I ran a full season in um, a fuel dragster and I thought this is the closest thing that I could come up with, but I didn't know, you know, what it was going to cost, if it was really an option at all, and uh, yeah, one phone call led to another, and I will say, while the top fuel car is absolutely nothing at all like driving um, an alcohol dragster, the orientation of the A fuel car that I drove in 2017 is exactly the same. It's, it was a uh, Morgan Lucas Racing chassis, okay, um, which is what Palmer's car is also. So everything was um, exactly the same as far as the orientation of the car. So fortunately, I didn't have to learn how to drive the car at all. I just um, basically had to train myself on how to recollect my marbles after um, I hit the gas in that thing. So (laughs) the the G-forces and everything is, is totally different for sure.
0: It is, and you know, I think uh, Troy Coughlin Jr. when he stepped up into one of those cars, I think the one of the cool analogies he used that I hadn't heard anybody else say was he said, you know, it feels like a roller coaster that's going uphill, but it's accelerating uphill faster than you could ever imagine in your life.
1: Absolutely, it's you can't compare it to anything else in the entire world. Um, you know, I, I posted a video a while back of uh, of what I looked like in the Pro Mod on the. It was a camera on the um, steering column, and my facial expression changed none at all going down the racetrack, up to even up to 250 miles an hour. Um, you could tell in the video um, from the end car that I posted from the Top Fuel dragster that my eyebrows were literally climbing over the top of my head, and I don't know if that was me or if that's if that's just the g forces. But I'm telling you, it it seriously. Try, tries to turn your eyes around backwards. It's it's something that, that words, honestly, just can't completely describe.
0: And I think, you know, we, let's talk about this weekend a little bit. Obviously, you're going to be racing in Denver and that is a good car. And I think it's even going to be a better car when Scott doesn't have to worry about driving it and tuning it. I feel as though, and I'm not taking a shot at Scott, obviously, here. I'm just saying that when you can take a guy who has a car that at sea level is a very consistent car in the 80s, uh, they can push it harder than that, but they typically run that car somewhere in the 80s if we look at what their kind of average elapsed time is. And we take him in this challenging environment, and we, now we just simply concentrate his efforts on making sure the thing is correct and right and set up to run to go to the starting line. And you're the unknown commodity up there, which I think is a fun role to be playing right now right because you get to roll in here and look around the field and say well I've never you know I've never done this before in terms of racing you you or you so you're, you're the kind of guy that everybody looks at a little cross-eyed
1: yeah there's no doubt about it um I will say that you know I obviously have little to no experience in this so um I feel like I, I'm definitely going into this as the underdog but you're definitely right as far as um, Scott tuning you know, and, and not having to drive the car. I will say absolute props to him to be able to do what he's done because if you really think about it, he's the driver, he's the crew chief, he's the car chief, he has to talk to the fans, he has to think about everything that's going on, make all of the decisions, and at the end of the day, he still has to be able to get up on the wheel and drive that car as yeah. good as anybody else out there. And for a guy that has to wear as many hats and helmets as he does, he is an absolute rock star. So I think uh, I think you're right with him being able to kind of kick back a little bit and uh, focus on the car and tuning that um, I think that we, we may be extra competitive out there. So my fingers are crossed for sure.
0: Yeah, it's going to be great. The Friday night qualifying session in the evening is going to be cool with the you know, header flames up and everything. And even Saturday's qualifying session skew a little bit later, so we should be out of the uh, out of the heat of the day. And you know, the natural question here becomes: uh, Is this literally going to be a one shot deal, or is there any opportunity to see you in the seat of this or some other car again of this nature in the future?
1: There's definitely an opportunity, even for um, you know, at some point in the rest of this season. Um, as of right this second, my plans are Denver only, but anything can happen. Um, that's definitely subject to change. Um, but I do think that, uh, you know, how do you, how do you go back from here? Um, one <laughs> right, of the that's reasons, the big that,
0: problem, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. One of the reasons that I really started liking pro mod so much is because it's just so much faster and so much more intense than pro stock. It's hard to, it's hard to go backwards. And so now that I've, I've done this, you know, I think that my focus is going to be on figuring out how to how to continue and do it more, whether it be this year or or next year and beyond. So, um, you know, just one step at a time and kind of playing it by ear right now. Do I do have some options and uh, I don't know, we'll just see see what happens.
0: Your dad has always been a big part of your racing operation since you were a kid. You know, no matter, no matter what you were competing in, your dad was always involved as far as uh, you know supporting you and being at the racetrack. What was his reaction when you said, "Hey, Dad, we're going to go top fuel racing this weekend"?
1: He was just absolutely surprised, blown away. <laughs> um, I'll be honest; he hasn't he hasn't been to a race since 2019. Um, you know, he was traveling. You know, 99 of the circuit with us for several years. Um, wouldn't miss a race for anything. Um, but after 2019, he decided that he didn't want to be on the road as much. And, um, he sat out all of 2020, which there wasn't a ton of that anyways, but, um, yeah, having him back to the racetrack with me, um, especially to, to share that moment and getting my top fuel license, that was, it was huge for me, but it was, it was huge for him as well. It's, uh, I don't know. I, I feel like for both of us, it was, it was a moment that I was very thankful uh, to share with him.
0: Yeah, it's really cool. I mean, you talk about, uh, you know, you talk about, like you said, as a kid racing go karts, and now uh, we're talking about a top field dragster at, you know, one of the most iconic events on the NHRA Tour. I mean, this, the Mile High Nationals is uh, is without compare, obviously, because of the atmosphere. But really, you know this as well as I do, the fans in Denver are straight crazy people. They're lunatics, and they're great people to race in front of. And I'm sure they will be, uh, they're going to be all around you this weekend, because you are definitely one of the big stories coming in here. Congratulations on this. And and it's a weird thing to congratulate somebody on. But um, I say congratulations out of respect for not only getting a license, but, but for respect out of Reacting to a situation that a lot of people would not have reacted this way to, I think it shows your mindset, it shows your determination, your temerity when faced with this. You didn't simply throw your hands up in the air and say, "Oh well." You actually found a solution to this problem.
1: I do appreciate that because there were definitely moments that that felt like I was out of options and my hands were tied. Throw them up in the air and and just give up. But um, at the end of the day, we, yes, we did work it out um, and. You know, overall, I would say that we usually prevail through situations like this, and uh, I'm just glad to, to be able to keep it going for sure.
0: That's nah, going to be great, man. Now all you got to do is go a couple of rounds on Sunday and really freak everybody out. That's going to be, you know, we need you to be coming and, and be a spoiler on our show. Just knock Torrance out first round. How about that? That's your goal.
1: There's, <laughs> there's been some crazier things happen. Um, but, yeah, I, I've said the same thing. It's it's Denver. It's a completely different animal. Anything can happen. Um, and I compared it to ProMod as well. As long as you make the field, anybody can win. Um, it, it does seem um, – like the, the cards are a little bit against me with the Capco guys winning literally like I think for every <laughs> single race except one um, but hey it's Denver and uh, anything can happen for sure we're just going to go out there and do the best we can and um, ultimately I just want to blend in and make it look like I've done this before more than anything, so
0: nah, it's we'll killer, see man. how it goes. Yeah, I can't wait to watch it. You've, uh, you've definitely found the right guy to be uh, partnered up in this thing with, with Scott. He will keep your nerves calm, and he will be the coolest guy in the pits, as he always is. So, Alex Laughlin, man, congratulations on the license, and I look forward to you uh, showing up on Sunday in Denver and uh, spoiling some people's weekends. It's going to be great. I
1: love it. Thank you so much.
0: What a crazy story. Alex Laughlin joining the ranks of top fuel eliminator this weekend in Denver, Colorado. And uh, he will be a guy who is in a good race car. That is that is not a car that's that's a struggle bus car. That is a car that can qualify well, that can place him in a position to win first round and second round and whatever round he shows up to. Remember, Scott Palmer's made multiple finals over the course of his career. He's been deep in the rounds. We haven't seen a lot of him in 2021. But man, what a way for Scott Palmer to be rolling back into the racetrack with uh, his new sidekick. <laughs> (laughs) right-hand man for however many races it may last. Even if it's only one, it is going to be incredibly exciting. I don't know about you, but that interview got me really excited for this weekend's Dodge SRT Mile High Nationals presented by Pennzoil at Vandermeer Speedway. I will be there at the racetrack working with Alan Reinhardt on Friday all day calling sportsman action. And, of course, we'll be bringing you all the professional action over the course of the weekend, both at the racetrack on NHRA.tv and across the FS1 channels. We have qualifying shows on Saturday, Sunday morning, and our elimination show at 4 p.m. Eastern on Sunday afternoon. If you can't be in Colorado, definitely be on your TV set watching the Drag It is going to be one for the books, and Alex Laughlin is going to look to make a little history for himself. I'm Brian Lones. Thanks for listening to the NHRA Insider Podcast. We'll be back next week with a Denver recap and taking a quick look ahead to Sonoma, California and the NHRA Sonoma Nationals. Thanks for listening.